going back to the Psalms, working our way through these songs by believers, for believers. And as I mentioned this morning, Psalm 65 is a, it's a celebration psalm. So uh, I know you're going to be encouraged as we study this psalm together tonight. Psalm 65, to the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. And to you shall vows be performed, O you who hear prayer. To you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation. The hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas. The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might. Who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, the tumult of the peoples. So that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. That's a great word picture, isn't it? The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. The great works of our great God. If you notice with me at the the end of Psalm 64, now it's been a few weeks since we've been together studying the Psalms, but if you remember... Verse 10 of Psalm 64, it ends calling the righteous one to rejoice in the Lord, calling the the upright in heart to exult, that is, to overflow in joyful worship, to burst forth in joyful worship. That's what it means to exult in the Lord. Psalm 64 closes by saying the righteous one should rejoice, the, the upright in heart should exult. And then that's what Psalm 65 and Psalm 66, that's what they are doing. Rejoicing and exulting in the Lord. 
And so Psalm 65 opens up with this declaration that God is worthy of praise. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. He is praiseworthy. Vows will be performed, so meaning in response to who God is, in response to God revealing himself in creation and in salvation and in blessing, in response to who he is and all that he's done, that their people will respond to him by committing to him, surrendering to him. Good works will, will flow from lives in response to God. Glad-hearted service, joyful surrender to his will. It shall happen. Vows will be, shall be performed. People will respond with giving their lives, giving their service, giving their hearts to God. Along with the praise, God is due praise. That means that's the right response. He's due praise. So that's the right thing to do, D.O. It's the right response to God's existence, to God's character, to the way God works, to the things God has done. It, it's a right thing. It's a, a proper, appropriate thing to, to laud him with praise, to, to cheer him, to cherish him, to pour out our thanksgiving to God, to, to shower God with shouts of gladness. David said praise is, is due to God. And so that's kind of the introduction. Verse 1 kind of is something of a title, really. And then we see three great works of God. So David says, you are, you are due praise. Vows are going to be performed to you. And then he gives us three reasons, or he gives us three works of God to, as we reflect on these, to then give God praise, to then give our lives in service to him. And the first thing we see in verses 2 through 4 is the great work of saving grace. In verses 2 through 4, the great work of saving grace. Verse 2 says, O you who hear prayer, our God is the only God who hears prayer. That's a remarkable statement. Praise is due to God because he hears prayer. The most cherished and most comforting reality cannot be spoken truthfully of any other God. Prayer cannot be said to really actually occur when it's supposedly transpiring between an individual and any other God that is named because no other God truthfully exists. So there is no communication taking place between an individual and a God who is actually not there. The only God that exists, there's only one God, and that God who exists is a God who hears 
prayer. He listens to his people. He condescends to our weaknesses and our needs and our praises and our words. That is, God God is attentive to the cries of his people. God is attentive to the petitions of his people. He hears prayer. And David says, all flesh, to you shall all flesh come. In one way or another, everyone will come to the Lord, whether that be in judgment or in salvation. But we, today, living in this world, living this life, we who are God's people, we come to him daily. We come to him already. We come to him often and frequently in prayer. All flesh is going to come, but we come all the time through this wonderful gift that has been given to commune with the Lord through prayer. We actually approach the God of glory. We enter his presence. We come before his holy throne through the wonder and marvel of simply calling on his name. For that, he is to be praised. Praise is due him because he hears prayer. Verse 3, he has made atonement for our transgressions. So it gets even better, doesn't it? Our transgressions were our own, our, our condemnation of ourselves. Christ said he, you know, he didn't come to judge. We, we've already done a good judgment. We've already done a good job of that. We've already judged ourselves. And our iniquities stand against us. They are a record that stand against us. They charge us with guilt before God. We are guilty before the Lord of great transgression. And not only do our iniquities charge us before the Lord, accuse us before the Lord, they often defeat us in our day-to-day living. They often get the upper hand. They often, as much as we desire not to, that we turn around and, and tune in to them rather than to the Lord, as Paul reminds us in Romans 7. Our own inclination to ourself and to our pleasure and, and to our ego often traps us and enslaves us and prevails against us. We commit iniquities We follow iniquities, we allow iniquities in our lives, and they prevail against us. And that's our human condition, apart from this God who is to be praised, and one reason he is to be praised is he atones for our transgressions. Our transgressions, not his, ours God has sent his son to remove sin from our record, our guilty record. Our iniquities accuse us. Christ acquits us. Isn't that wonderful? For that he is to be praised. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 say this, And you, speaking to all of us as believers... And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive 
together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses by counseling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's how he atoned, through the cross of Christ. Atone means he, he, he removed the separation, he removed the sin and made us one with him, reconciled us to him, removed that record of debt by nailing it to the cross. For this, he is to be praised. And verse 4 goes even further, doesn't it? Not only does he hear prayer, not only has he atoned for our transgressions, verse 4 says that he has chosen us and he has brought us near to dwell in his courts, to dwell in his presence, to dwell with him. God chooses you for glory. God saves you for eternal glory. And when we are brought to him, when he brings us to himself, he he satisfies the very deepest longing of our soul. You see what the passage says here. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. That's what will satisfy us. That's what will meet our needs. That's what will fill us and complete us. Before you choose God, he chose you. Before you call out to God, he calls to you. Before you come to Christ, he brings you near. Salvation is provided by the Lord, accomplished by the Lord, wrought by the Lord. Salvation is of the Lord. And for that, he is to be Praised. Praise is due to him. But that's just one thing. Now David goes on to speak of something else. And in verses 5 through 8, he speaks of the great works of creation and providence. We've already read that passage. We might go through and hit a verse or two along the way. But the The point of these verses is to draw our attention to the... He's still involved day by day. He holds everything together and in place. The marvel and and the wonder of God's creation and his continued providence over his creation is a wonder that is observed by people all over the world because it is creation And because creation is everywhere, that means everyone is exposed to God's creative, providential work. You see this in these verses, the hope of the ends of the earth. It says in verse 8, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe of at your signs. Speaks of the mighty mountains, the mighty mountains displaying the might of God's creative work, pointing us to the might of the Creator. Creation always telling us something about the Creator. Mighty mountains is a points us to a mighty God. And the keeping and and the stilling of the waters, 
is a display of God's providential work. He's constantly, moment by moment, second by second, keeping everything in order and according to his will, working out his purpose. Nothing in all of creation goes beyond his work, beyond his hand, beyond his will. Not one square inch of all creation stands up and says, I am my own and I'm going to do my own thing. Now, we as humans sometimes say that, but we're, we're delusional in sin and deceived. All of the works of creation and God's continued work within creation shout to people of every land and every tongue that there is a God. So many people out in the tribal areas, when, when, our, when our missionaries have finally reached them and shared the gospel, they've, they've told stories of waiting on someone to tell them about the God they knew was there. And what were they talking about? Looking around creation and understanding there's a God somewhere and we don't know him. A God who sustains, a, a God who controls his creation Creation reveals to every human on the planet that he or she is created too. If God created that tree, God created me. You can go as far away from civilization as you can get to the farthest ends of the earth and you will find people that are amazed at the works of God even if they don't know him. They declare, the heavens declare the glory of God. The same might that raised the mountains and stills the seas speaks peace and calm to your own heart, the tumult of the peoples. The end of verse 8 says, You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. There's a, there's a rhythm in God's creation that declares that there's a God above who has designed and who has ordered and who watches over his creation. All creation has a, has a season. It, it's set on a pattern. It's, it's precisely balanced. There's a marvelous design that's pointing to a divine designer. Creation has a a rhythm to it. Days have a rhythm. We call it night and day. And guess what? Tomorrow will be the same. And the next day will be the same. And the next and the next and the next. It has a rhythm, a precise balance. We don't wake up tomorrow and say, now I wonder if there'll be 24 hours today or if there'll be 34. Sometimes we wish there were 34 hours in a day. Days have a rhythm. Years have a rhythm. We call it seasons. Life has a rhythm. We call it aging. It's all a wonder to behold. It it keeps going. It never stops over and over again. The sun rises and the sun sets. And the sun rises and the sun sets. And the moon shines and the moon is gone. And the moon shines and the moon is gone. And God, David is saying here, 
And God is to be praised. That's his work. And you can go as far as you can around this world and people stand in awe of it. I love these words about the consistency of creation from G.K. Chesterton in his work, Orthodoxy. Listen to these words. Some of, one of the best descriptions of God I've ever read. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. Anybody hear that before? Do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he is nearly dead. Anybody familiar with that? For grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. Isn't that wonderful? He is to be praised for his creation and providence. The third work in verses 9 through 13 is the great work of abundant provision. We live in absolute abundance. In these verses, it says, I love verse 12, says the pastures of the wilderness overflow. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. They're just livestock and livestock and livestock. The valleys deck themselves with grain just Millions and millions and millions of heads of grain. And some commentators believe in these verses that, that David is, is praising God in these verses for an abundant harvest that has been experienced. The yield of, of grain has been beyond imagination. And God is to be praised when our crops yield. And God is to be praised when our lives yield. Each and every time we experience abundant blessing and provision, we are to praise God. Praise is due to Him. He is the one that brings about the harvest in the field and the harvest in the home and the harvest in the heart. And I love how David says here, he has prepared it in verse 9. He's prepared it to be so. He, he makes it abundant, not just exactly what we need, but more than we need. 
And that tells us something about who he is, doesn't it? That tells us something about his grace and his mercy and his inexhaustible, joyful presence. That he's overflowing in goodness and grace. He has watered it. This, um, look at the verse there. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. He blesses the, the soil. He waters it. He fertilizes it. He gives it increase time and time again. The soil produces, the same soil produces over and over and over and over and over and over. And there's that wonderful, merciful repetition again, isn't there? We know from time to time we experience drought here and there, but God never does. His his storehouse is never empty. It's always full. His, his showers are always ready. At any minute, God can soak the land, soothe the land, refresh the land. It's all under his command. So the psalmist is saying, when you see the sunrise, praise God, he did that. When you see the flower bloom, when you hear the, the bleeding of the sheep, Praise God, he did that. When you see the rainfall, praise God, he did that. When you see the harvest, when you fill up your refrigerator, when you go to the grocery store and pile up food into your shopping cart and pay for it on the way out, praise God for that. He did that. He brought that abundance into your life. Spurgeon said of this passage, and he's, he's my he, spiritual hero. He said, God's visits leave blessings behind. When God goes somewhere, he leaves a trail of blessings. And the psalmist is saying, he's, he's been here. See that? The, the meadows are full. The hills are full. The barn is full. God's been here. God did that. I love Psalm 145, verse 16. It says this about God. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. I'll just make an observation here before we close our time together tonight. God's saving grace in salvation takes up three verses, verses 2, 3, and 4. And then God's work of creation and providence and an abundant blessing, that takes up nine verses in this psalm. So I look at that and I say, why is that? If we were writing this psalm, or if, or if I were writing this psalm, we, we would probably reason that salvation is a greater blessing. Not saying that these other things are not great blessings, not great works. They are great in and of themselves, but salvation is forever. And so let's talk about these others quickly. Let's use about three verses and talk about creation and providence and blessing in the psalm. And that's certainly one way to look at it, to emphasize something by additional material 
But I believe what David is doing here is he's actually magnifying the grace of salvation not by having more material, but rather by illustrating the material. Look at the last words of verse, verse 8 and then verse 13. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Last part of verse 13. Speaking of the meadows and and the valleys, it says, they shout and sing together for joy. David is expounding on creation and, and providence and abundant blessing because these are things that we can see. These are things that we can touch, we can taste, we can, we can smell. They are tangible. They are right in front of us repeatedly all the time, everywhere we go, every day of our lives. So David is expounding and helping us to see past what we've gotten used to seeing. And if, and if we can hear creation shout for joy to its creator when the when the sun and the moon appear and, and the field rejoicing in the God of blessing when, when the field burst forth with fruit. David says, listen closely. Watch that sun shine with all of its might. Watch that moon glow with all of its being. Watch that grain wave back and forth and see if you don't see them shouting for joy to their creator. David is saying... That's the God who saved you. That's the God who atones for your transgression, who hears your prayer, who has chosen you for himself and brought you into his courts. That God that all creation magnifies. And if the sun and the moon and the grain and the flocks are filled with joy because God created them and orders them and blesses them, how much more so will, our, will be our joy to dwell in his house forever? Praise is due to God Yes, the sun praises him, the moon praises him, the grain praises him, but his people, his people whom he has redeemed, they shout and sing for joy. Psalm 107.2, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. Amen. Let's pray. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.